Mark 13, we'll begin reading in verse 24. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be fallen from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves his home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. God, please bless the reading of your word and the proclamation of it and the explanation of it in Jesus' name. Amen. Last Lord's Day, I suggested that we look at this passage and its fulfillment in terms that some commentators call divine or prophetic foreshortening. I didn't give you that word last week. It's not a word that you're going to find in the Bible, but it helps as often uh, it does. It kind of helps us understand maybe what's going on here. So prophetic foreshortening, opposite of lengthening, shortening, okay, foreshortening. That is that often prophecy of future events are told as they are seen or received by the prophets, but they see an event in all its major outcomes, but not necessarily all of its details because it's distant. Some Bible students have described divine or prophetic foreshortening like seeing a mountain range from miles away. But the closer you get to the mountain range, the more you notice the individual mountains, right? We've all done that. If you've ever been out west, certainly. You see this huge mountain range, and you drive for like three hours, and it finally gets closer. And then you realize, wow, there's, there's all kinds of mountains, just not this little shadow of a mountain. You might recall at the beginning, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, the journey to destroy the ring, how Mount Mordor is like that. It's just this mountain. It looks right there, and there's smoke. But then it's like three movies later before they get there, you know. You think, well, that won't take long to get there. And they never do, and they never do, and finally they do. And on the way, there's all these, there's all these happenings and all these adventures and all these um, threatenings and losing the ring and so forth. It's kind, of, um, it's kind of the same. The prophets saw what God gave them, and they prophesied about it. But 
they saw the events. And a lot of times they would say, this is what I saw, and they write it. And it could cover lots of years. Some people even said it's like the prophets could see just the mountaintops, but they weren't privy to what was in the valleys. They could just see mountaintops. And I think that's a good way to think about it. Divine foreshortening is taking all those mountaintops and valleys, but only talking about the mountain. And as it unfolds, we start understanding a little more, right? Thankfully, we have the New Testament. This is why we interpret the Old Testament from the New Testament. That's the proper way to do it. There's some great examples of this. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Listen to what Isaiah saw. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And this is talking about Jesus. There's coming this Messiah. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Now if you read that without the New Testament, you think, man, this, this root of, and stump of Jesse is going to come and when he gets here, he's going to destroy all his enemies and that's the end. But we know that this root comes. We know that he lives a perfect, sinless life. He dies on the cross. He's buried. He's resurrected. He goes back to heaven. And now we're in this time period referred to as all kinds of stuff. But at least we know we can agree it's the church age. And we don't know how long that church age is going to last. But when it's over at that point, we know that what Isaiah saw will happen. He will destroy all of his enemies by the breath of his lips. And the New Testament tells us almost that quote Paul does. He uses that to Jesus by the words of his lips will destroy the unrighteous. So you sort of see, he saw these big events, but he didn't know all that was in the way to get, in between getting there. Again, in chapter 61 of Isaiah, and Jesus quoted this about himself, so we know that Isaiah was talking about Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord of God is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn so there's another example he saw all these things but just not all the intricate details in the midst of those things Joel chapter 2 verses 28 through 32 we know that this was fulfilled in Acts at least that was according to the apostles it shall come to pass that afterward I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens on earth. Blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness. Does that sound familiar? We just read that almost. And the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, among the survivors, there shall be those whom the Lord calls. You could almost see in that the destruction of Jerusalem and the very end, right? Kind of like what we've been seeing. 
which brings me to the next thing, not only this idea of divine foreshortening, but also the idea of multiple fulfillment of prophecy. We've talked about that throughout this passage, right? How there are some things, and again, um, we can see this um, in a lot of other places, and I'll read a couple examples to you, where a prophecy was made, it had a fulfillment for Israel in the Old Testament, and it has another fulfillment, possibly even in the first century, and then ultimately a final fulfillment. And the church has always seen these things. This is not, I'm, I didn't just make this up for sure, and somebody didn't make this up in the last few years. This has been a truth. It's almost no matter what um, form or, or view of eschatology you hold to, you've got to see some of this happening, or else you're just, you're, you're going to contradict yourself and deny what Scripture's teaching. <coughs> a good example of this multiple fulfillment, 2 Samuel chapter 7 Verses 12 through 17. This is the Lord speaking through, I think, Nathan to David, King David. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body and will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all that this vision Nathan spoke to David. That's in Second Samuel. In First Kings, Solomon says, hey, that prophecy was fulfilled in me, the king. The son of David. Now the Lord has fulfilled his promise that he made. For I have risen in the place of David my father. And I sit on the throne of Israel. As the Lord has promised, I have built the house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But then we go to the New Testament. Acts 13 tells us that this prophecy has fulfillment in both Christ's resurrection and the resurrection of the followers of Christ. And there's other places in Acts that tells us about the sure mercies of David and the house and tent of David. It's not just fulfilled in Solomon, but it's fulfilled in Christ and the church. And so I point all that out again and in a little more detail to say I believe that's what's happening in Mark chapter 13. I think this is much of what Jesus is doing in the Olivet Discourse. No doubt he is making prophecy. He is a prophet. Jesus is an Old Testament prophet. He's an Old Testament and New Testament prophet. John the Baptist was the last real Old Testament prophet. Jesus is the Son of God, the, great, the greatest prophet. And no doubt, it's prophecy that he is giving to us because we understand this is prophetic language. Just a, just a very surface reading of Scripture. You would start seeing some of hey, I, I read that in the Old Testament somewhere, just like I pointed out. All these stars falling and this fire columns and all these things. I've seen that before. And I've heard this talk of, uh, and I hope you saw um, what Michael read, Daniel chapter 7, this coming in clouds of glory. Almost word for word what Daniel saw in his prophecy, what, many years before Christ came. And so I think Christ here is doing all this. He is bringing up uh, multiple fulfillments from previous prophecies. He is making prophecies uh, for the future. And he is doing 
what many of the prophets did for shortening, showing, telling us these events are here, some of them are here, some of them are coming. And all this is taking place. And maybe you can see why this is such a difficult passage to interpret. There's a lot of stuff going on here. So this is one of the reasons it's really just sort of uh, been a weight on my shoulder. I wanted, to, I wanted to skip it, but I wanted to do it because this is where we are. But I also wanted to make sure at least um, I did the best I could to help you maybe see this. And you may not agree with this. You may find something different. There are many interpretations of this, but I think it's why we have to be very careful with dogmatism in these areas. I think it's kind of not a good idea to show up and say, here's what the here's my end time view of everything in Scripture, and this is the only right view way to see it. Because there's a bunch of, like I said, there's people within the camps that people camp in that disagree on all this stuff, right? And so uh, I don't know, but I, it seems like, uh, this is the view, looking through just this Olivet Discourse and how it lines up, it seems to be the view, in my, for me, that most glorifies God in Christ. And that's what I want to try to do. As we look at it, again, these first few verses, starting in verse 24. Um, in those days after that tribulation, we talked about that tribulation last week, this uh, great and terrible tribulation that certainly for the people... Uh, that day, it was terrible, and they had never seen anything like it. Um, maybe there's been more like that since then. I'm sure there have, and I think there will be more like it after this. But he says, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will give its light, and the stars will be falling from the heavens, uh, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming with cloud, in clouds with great power. And then he'll send out his angels to gather the elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Now, the, again, I think all this could very well had had fulfillment in the first century. All these things. There's there's historical reports. I think I mentioned this to somebody last week. This um, this idea of stars falling from the heavens. Report of a, um, in the first century between 30 and 70 A.D. A huge comet that seemed to stay in the sky forever, and people wrote about it and talked about the like stars uh, coming down. There was there was fires. There was all these things. Um, there's all kind of other. If you're interested in reading the history from Josephus, um, just wild things that people saw in the heavens that they've written in his historical accounts. Things that people just saw at this time, um, and maybe it was fulfilled. Maybe these things were fulfilled partially. They will fulfill later more in, in more detail. But this idea of judgment of God coming is a lot of times attached with this kind of stuff. This darkness, this gloom, this moon being dark and the lights being out and the stars falling and all these things. If you go back just through the minor prophets, you'll see them. When you were here, if you were here when we started going through the minor prophets, there was always talking about that. When they would mention the day of the Lord, it would be associated with darkness in, in uh, all kinds of, uh, you know, natural cataclysmic events. And then he talks about this idea of, at that time, you will see the Son of Man coming with clouds of great power and glory. Now, you've probably always associated that with Jesus coming back one day. He's going to be coming right. And we've sang those songs, all of us that grew up in Southern Baptist churches and 
we sang about Jesus riding the clouds and he's coming from the east and all those things. Again, maybe that is exactly how it will happen. I think if you put this in perspective of what Daniel saw and you read that passage again, coming the sun coming in clouds with great power and glory in Daniel, he didn't come to earth. He went to the Ancient of Days. He went to God the Father. And so a lot of people say this was fulfilled when Jesus was resurrected and he took his rightful seat of power on the throne with God. Then that was Daniel's prophecy being fulfilled. The sun coming on clouds of glory. Just another way to speak of the people of Israel seeing their Messiah that they rejected. And he's, re- he's ascending into heaven and now he's at the right hand of God. And maybe everybody can see it, but his people could see it. Possible that's a fulfillment. I don't know. It's interesting. It, it's very interesting. And again, this idea of angels gathering the elect from the four winds, you'll see this. We've already, I think this is saying the same thing that everybody, uh, that the gospel being preached around the world is saying. This is God. After Christ comes and he does his work, this is what God is doing right now. He is gathering his elect from the four corners of the earth. And he will do so until the end. And I think if you look in Revelation, I think chapter 7 where this is mentioned, I think this is the same idea. This is what's going on. This is what is happening. God will. He will travel to the corners of the earth, so to speak. The four winds from everywhere you can go. The gospel is going to go where God wants it to go. And the angels of God will bring and gather the elect of God to him. And he will take them to the Son, right? That's what Jesus said in John chapter 6. All that the Father bring to me will come to me. And when they come to me, I will no wise cast them out. And so I think that's what this is about. And still just sort of retelling the same thing. And this fulfillment is happening. Is it going to continue to happen? Yes. Is it going to happen at the end? Yes. And he will continue to do this. It will continue to be fulfilled. Christ will continue to do his work of power from where he is. And God will continue to bring his elect to himself. And apparently using angels to do it. Which is a pretty cool thing that angels brought you to God and God brought you to Christ and all that happened you didn't even know it you just thought I was a sinner and I saw Christ as a savior and I turned to him in faith and he forgave me of my sins you didn't know all this cosmic stuff was going on in the background to save you I think that's pretty cool you know that's just an awesome thought and then he gives this lesson again. He's given these lessons before about fig tree. And this kind of ties back in to the verse earlier up here where he talked about birth pangs. Hey, when, you, when birth pangs come, it's not time for the baby, but it lets you know there is a baby coming. And it's kind of the same thing here. He says with the fig tree, learn the lesson. When the branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer's near because the fruit's coming, right? So also when you see these things taking place, and again, to those who are alive, and Jesus uh, is about to say again, none of you who are listening to me will pass away before this happens. This generation will not pass away. He says when you see these things taking place, know that it's near. And it's very near, even at the gates. And again, if you take that real literal, the abomination of desolation was, according to Luke, surrounded the gates at this time. They were there are soon coming. And so Jesus says, hey, when you see all these things happening, know that it's near, even at the gates. Now again, um, 
I think that's a great lesson for us to learn. I don't think we should be sitting around looking for signs. This is what bothers me when everybody's reading the paper trying to see what signs are out there today. And you and I have people all the time say that, and I see it on social media. Boy, it's, it's no doubt Jesus is about to come. Look at this. This prophecy, this prophecy, this prophecy. I don't think that's what God is saying to us. Hey, those signs, you know what those are? They're just birth pains. These are the tender shoots of the fig tree. I think it's just a reminder. This is going to happen, and it's going to take place. We're not going to go hide in a bunker. And Jesus told the people of his day, leave Jerusalem because it's about to be destroyed. But when Jesus really comes back, we don't have anything to hide from. We're not going to run anywhere. But what we are going to do is do what he uh, admonishes us to do here and be ready. Be alert, right? And just know as you see these things, if you see these things, it's an encouragement, not a fear. And again, we don't look at today, today's news and read it back into the Bible. We try to look at the Bible and see how God is doing his work from the Bible to now. Now he says, again, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Now some people believe, uh, according to one view, that this generation at this point, he's talking about the Jewish generation. This generation is about to fail and it will not pass away until all these things are accomplished. And sure enough, when Jesus died and rose again, and some years later when the temple is destroyed, the Jewish, the generation of the Jew was gone. Luke says the time of the Gentiles is now, right? So that could be the true interpretation here. It could be the interpretation at the time. But certainly it means something important. We can't just gloss over it. And if you remember, I've said several times, if you take the view that, well, this didn't happen yet, none of this happened yet, it's all future, then that gives people reason to say, okay, well, then was Jesus a liar? Because he said, this generation will not pass away. So he was either talking to somebody that was listening, or he's using code, or he's a liar. And so I think it's important that we take this view that I'm trying to espouse, at least for this reason. It might have complete fulfillment later, and I think it probably does. But we have to agree it had some bit of fulfillment at the time for Jesus to say it and for him to be taken at his word, right? And then he makes this statement, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never. And then he makes this statement, but concerning that day. Now, some people right here, and even in the past, I have thought this as well. Some people will say, okay, at this point, he starts answering that third question asked that Matthew records. Remember, Matthew said the disciples asked Jesus at the beginning of this passage, so tell us when will these things be? When will your coming happen? And uh, when will the end of the age take place? And so some people say, well, now he's answering that third question. And they emphasize the word that. Because what Jesus is really saying here, though it's not in the text, is but concerning that day. And now he's talking about concerning the day when I come back. No one knows the hour. No one knows the time. Not even the angels. Not even the Son of God and his humanity. But only the Father knows. Now, again, there are a lot of good people, uh, good Bible students and teachers that will say that. And if that's what you believe, it's great. But uh, and, it, and it fits. It's, it's perfectly fine because at this point, he no longer brings back up this generation. So maybe he is looking into the future here. 
I think the most natural progression in understanding, if you're reading straight through this and you don't have the chapter breaks or the little uh, subtitles, if you just read, um, you're reading from chapter, verse 1 all the way through, most of us wouldn't emphasize that. We just keep reading. But concerning that day, then we're thinking, okay, he's still talking about all this stuff I just told you, the fulfillment of what I've been telling you, this destruction that's coming, this judgment of God concerning that day. You've got these signs. You know that it's coming. The birth pains are evident. It's getting close. But when it's going to happen exactly, I don't know. But stay awake. And he gives this other uh, analogy. Just like somebody who goes on a journey and leaves his servants in charge to do the work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. He said, this is what I'm doing. I'm telling you, stay awake. And I think, again, very possible this was very much fulfilled right there with his people. And they didn't, and I think this was Jesus' point. If I told you it's going to be tomorrow at 3 o'clock, and what will we do as humans? You know, we're squeezing everything we could before tomorrow at 3 o'clock because we know it's happening. And I do think this definitely applies to the return of Christ one day in the future. And we shouldn't be guessing. And again, we don't need to look at the newspaper and say, oh, I see this, this, and that. It's got to be, you know, 2025. We've already had all those books written, you know. It's going to be 2000. Well, it's going to be earlier than that. Maybe the 90s, then the 2000s, and then 2015. And, you know, I think it would be silly, no matter what you believe about this, if you believe every bit of this from chapter 13, verse 3 to now is all future, I don't know how else you could read that. And if Jesus didn't know, and the angels don't know, then God ain't going to reveal it to some dude hanging out at, you know, at Ingalls and Bremen or whatever. So whichever way you take it, I think it's important to take Jesus at his word that, hey, nobody knows when it's going to happen. I'm giving you the warnings. I'm giving you the promise that it's coming. I am the prophet of God. I'm telling you all this Old Testament stuff these prophets saw. It's been unfolding. It's unfolding. I'm the big part. I'm like the beginning of the, ne- of the end of the ages. And you're in the end of the ages. So stay awake. Which means stay alert. I told you that word really means give strict attention to. So I think that's what Jesus is saying. When he says stay awake, just like with these servants, when the man said do this work while I'm gone, he is saying, give strict attendance and attention to what I'm telling you to do. I don't want to come home and half of it be done, half of it not be done. And so what Jesus is saying, I've given you my word. I've given you my promises. I've told you what to be about. I've told you how to love me and how to love neighbor. So be giving strict attention to that. And don't be asleep, which is to be indifferent, especially towards your salvation. All right, and so again, I think that speaks to um, what we're doing here: gathering of the people of God in obedience to what He has said, not neglecting the, the gathering of the saints together to try to disciple, to try to learn. We are supposed to stay alert and not be indifferent to our salvation, and that's what I'm trying to encourage you to do. You don't have to believe everything I believe the way I believe it, but what I want you to do is give strict attention. To what the words of God have to say and be alert and be ready because I guess here's what I believe ultimately about the day that is coming and I'm just going to read to you straight out of our confession 
I ought to believe this because we hold to this. This is our confession. The very last chapter. God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by Jesus Christ, to whom all power and judgment is given by the Father. And in that day, the apostate angels will be judged. So also all people who have lived on earth will appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of their thoughts, words, and deeds, and to receive a reckoning according to what they have done in the body, whether good or evil. God's purpose for appointing this day is to manifest or make known his glory, the glory of his mercy and eternal salvation of the elect, and his justice and the eternal damnation of the reprobate, who are wicked and disobedient. For at that time the righteous will go into everlasting life, receive fullness of joy and glory and everlasting rewards in the presence of the Lord, But the wicked who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ will be thrown into everlasting torments and punished with everlasting destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. There's that idea of Jesus destroying everybody by the word of his power. Christ desires that we be firmly convinced that a day of judgment will come, both to deter everyone from sin and to comfort the godly more fully in their adversity. For this reason, he is determined to keep the day secret, to encourage people to shake off any fleshly security, and always be watchful because they do not know the hour when the Lord will come, and so that they may always be prepared to say, Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. That's a great description of the end time. What's going to happen when Jesus comes back? So may God bless his word and help our understanding. And um, I hope that you've been blessed by it study let's pray father we thank you for your word and god we ask that you would um just use it to sanctify your people and to edify the church and lord there are some things in here definitely we could disagree on still love each other still worship together what's important is that we know it's coming that it has been happening that we're in the last days that Christ will one day return, and we have to be ready for that. But if we're alive until we pass from this life and he has not come, we still have instruction of what to do, and we're still to be alert and to be ready, and we are still to live, and we are still to abide by your law, the law that Christ has given us, and love our neighbor and love you supremely, and to depend on Christ more and more as if he was coming today or tomorrow, but also living as if we're going to be here a full lifetime and we do everything we can to make those around us know Christ and know him better. So help us in that as your church and your people. And uh, Lord, we trust you for that, to build us up from your word. In Jesus we pray, amen.